Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello there. The Phil Hay Show is brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. At The Phil Hay Show on Twitter, if you want to say hi to us. I'm Dan Moylan. With me from The Square Ball is Michael Normanson. Hello. And here he is, Phil Hay. Hello. With the football season well underway now, now is the time to get subscribed to The Athletic. You can read everything that Phil has written, everything he's going to write. 33% off is the deal at the minute at theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod this week Phil is it an aftermath it is an aftermath but also a little look ahead to Newcastle which feels like a rather big game all of a sudden and we'll get on to talking about this properly in part two but we've done a a fairly lengthy piece as well on Rodrigo and whether this number 10 experiment with him is working spoiler alert it's not right into the football then and uh nil three against Liverpool which has been somewhat forgotten by the red card incident now We're recording 11 o'clock Wednesday morning. We've heard in the last hour or two that the appeal against the red card being issued for Pascal Strouk has been denied. So he's going to be out for the Newcastle game and a couple of games after that. So how do we want to unpack this? Because safe to say Leeds fans generally not happy with this. And also not surprised. It is worth saying. If the appeal had been successful, I think we would have been absolutely astonished. But... um, Disappointing. Because well, we exchanged messages, didn't we, Phil, about this? And you thought, oh, they'd overturn it. And I was like, there's not a, a cat in hell's chance that they will overturn this. The reason I thought they might was partly because I thought it might be a challenge to explain exactly how that decision has had been taken. And we will get written reasons for this at, at some stage. So we will get a bit more insight into that. But I think I think that's something we, we definitely need to talk about is how it, how it was that Pawson went from awarding no foul and waving play on to, to give and strike a red card. You also had things like Harvey Elliott saying himself that, that he didn't think it was a foul and he didn't think it was a red card. That was never going to influence the FA's decision, or not not majorly, because they don't, you know, they don't use the views of players and managers as a rule um, to make a decision on, on disciplinary matters. But at the same time, it, it did just kind of add to the weight of feeling that it had been a, le- a legitimate tackle. It had been a fair attempt to, to win the ball. And that the appeal might win. Your view was that they wouldn't overturn it because it would potentially pose too many questions about about what had gone on. You also felt that they wouldn't want to upset Liverpool or Klopp, which is very much your opinion. I, th- I, th- uh, I just think it's just it comes into their thinking about what they want the outcome to represent. It, it's easier to leave it as the status quo as it is with Leeds fans upset at the initial outcome than it is to now upset them. And I I, I do think within the Premier League, and you've got to be careful not to turn into a swivel-eyed loon about this sort of thing, but they very much lean towards the perceived bigger clubs and the well, the Super League clubs. They don't want to make them unhappy. Well, the first thing I think we should say here is that it was a serious injury. We had a really good view of it from the press box and you could see straight away that his ankle was at an odd angle, which made you wonder initially whether or not he'd broken his leg, You know whether it had been a really bad break or, or a bad fracture. Because of that, I had no problem at all, even though the game was going on, no problem at all with Liverpool's medical staff going onto the pitch with Salah trying to get the game stopped. I think on 
seeing um, the, the medical staff from Leeds going onto the pitch told you that it was a serious injury. You, you can always tell that when you have both sets of, of physio staff involved. And people will have seen that it was Leeds United's medics who carried him out of the stadium on, on the stretcher. There was there was a lot of cooperation there because clearly both sides were, were worried about, about Elliot. And I've said on this show before that you find with physios that in amongst the importance of results and performance and everything else, their, their core responsibility is always to the players and, and to the fitness of the players. That is that is their priority and, and you could see that. So no argument with Elliot at all or the severity of the injury and, and he underwent surgery in London earlier this week. And because of the way he's handled himself afterwards, absolutely no criticism of him either. You know, he, he said on Instagram he didn't think it was a red card. He's um, replied to uh, another story on there this morning after the, the appeal verdict was given, saying that he, he thinks strikes unlucky with that. And, and he said, and, I think it's wrong, is the phrase yeah, they used. Yeah, and didn't agree with it. But it, it has to be said that the FA can't, you know, cannot draw judgments on the basis of players thinking it was a foul or, or not. I, I guess it can be used as, as, as a slight influence. But they, they have to be kind of cold and considered about it and they have to look at, at, the, at the evidence. I didn't think it was a red card. I thought it was a le- legitimate challenge. Um, I think a lot of people on the ground thought that. I don't think at the time when it was made, there were many people who felt that, that it looked like a foul. The thing that I have the biggest issue here with is that our understanding is that Pawson told the FA that it was his decision. And you'll have seen him talking to Andy Madley, the fourth official, but irrespective of what Madley was saying to him, it would have to be Pawson's call. You know, Pawson would, would have to make that decision on the pitch. And and the, the instruction we've had is that, that VAR then had a look decided there was no clear or obvious error with it. and Which, so is, they, which is the extent of their remit. We need to say that as yeah, well. I, I, absolutely. If, that, if they don't think it's clear and obvious, they won't ask Pawson to, to review it. They will say, no, the, the decision's fine. The red card stands and, and you don't need to, to look again. The problem is that all of us in the stadium that were there at the time and people who watched on, on telly as well know that the on-field decision was play on and no foul. The, the on-field decision was not a red card. The red card was issued... Three or four minutes later, after the medics had come on to, to tend to Elliot, after, it should be said, Jürgen Klopp had come onto the pitch and had spoken to Pawson. And, and, you know, Klopp didn't engage with the question afterwards about what he'd said to, to Pawson. And I'm sure he didn't like being asked that, but it's a legitimate question. People are entitled to draw the conclusion that he might have suggested to Pawson that that was a red. He might not have done, but people will draw that conclusion because that's you know, potentially what it looks like. But the on-field decision, the decision in real time, was no foul and play on. So to my mind, it doesn't have a lot of credibility to say Pawson's decision was red card. Somebody, It felt as if somebody else's decision was the red card. That's not to say it wasn't the correct decision. I don't think it was. But you know, there might be people who know, know about these things in more detail than me and, and having reviewed it really closely, felt that, that it was reckless. That, that's their, their view. But at the time... Pawson awarded nothing. Yeah, I mean, three days down the line now, I'm trying to be more objective about this because, you know, you want to at least appear reasonable about it when you're analysing it. But I looked into the IFAB rules, these are the refereeing rules, and um, I mentioned this on the Square Ball podcast this week because I genuinely didn't know. I didn't know what, what the protocol was about the fourth official telling the referee to do X, Y, or Z. I didn't know if that was... I just didn't know, so I looked. And yes, they can. The, the on-field team is comprised of the referee, the two assistants and the fourth official, and they are all allowed to interact and inform one another if one has got a better view of an incident than the other. So it was within the remit of the fourth official to tell Pawson. So maybe he has told Pawson when play has stopped, this has happened. So I think he's probably within his rights to do that. And then Pawson has 
changed his decision from the initial on-field play on to it being a red card. But I do agree that it doesn't look great in terms of how they got from point A to point B. I think some clarity around that would probably be no, useful. Abs- absolutely. And it's the same with um, assistant referees. You'll have seen the Cooper foul on Jota in the first half, which was a foul. I mean, Cooper studded his boot there, took him down. Pawson's first reaction was to wave Jota up, almost accusing him of, of diving, really, you know, up and, and get on with it. And then a few seconds later to go back and award a free kick, which made you think that possibly the assistant had, had been in his ear and told him, no, that was a foul. And, and as I say, it was was the right decision. And I, I would just say here that none of this changes the fact that Liverpool rinsed Leeds on Sunday. You know, it didn't. none of this changed the result as far as I'm concerned. But I think it, it is worthy of discussion. I think the issue with the fourth official suggesting to him, if this is how it went, suggesting to him that it was a red card, is that there should have been a VAR check on that. And I mean a proper VAR check because Pawson in real time has looked at that and said to himself, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't even think that's a foul. You know, I think that's a a legitimate tackle. And it seems to me that for him to give the red card and to say that was my on-pitch decision is is a little bit rich. And I can very much understand why Leeds appealed this. I thought they would have have a good chance of overturning it, but it was rejected pretty quickly. It feels like as well with the the VAR check that never happened. It feels like the only person he did consult with at any length was Jürgen Klopp, who was in his ear for literally like a minute, wasn't he? Just following him round as he walked. He walked over to the to the players, then he walked back to the bench, then he walked over again and sent sent strike off. And I don't know why I don't know why Pawson allowed that to happen either. I feel like maybe this is where it comes into the him being, you know, such a high profile manager does help him. I feel like if that was and Graham Potter, he probably just tells him to go away, and he Potter probably does. Whereas it feels like with Klopp, he was like, "Well, John Klopp, I'll just yeah. let, I'll just let him follow me and tell th- me what to do." I think it's also worth adding that I can understand Klopp's reaction to it because it's his yeah. player, it's a young player, it's a nasty injury that he's clearly seen the majority of. Because I was over the other side of the ground, didn't see it, didn't have a clue. I followed the game to the northwest corner, and when I saw it was pulled back, like everybody else, like the initial reaction was like, "Oh, what's going on?" You know that kind of boo. And then you realised as it started to unfold that this looked pretty serious because all the medics were going on. But I think Klopp's reaction, understandable to a point, but there also comes a point where the referee has to take charge of that situation. And like you say, none of this changes the outcome that Elliot was badly injured. It doesn't change the outcome that Leeds were terrible versus Liverpool. But you want your referee to be assertive, don't you? And it just didn't feel like he was. And I do have a certain amount of sympathy with the whole fourth official coming to that decision. I do, you know, like you're saying, you don't quite, understand it Phil I, I do having read the rules and then when it gets past the VAR VAR's remit is only to overturn or advise on clear and obvious errors so again because that's codified now how do you get round that I mean did it look like a clear and obvious error because as soon as they saw that there was any contact it was going to be a red card it just would have made sense to me given that you have the screen at the side of the pitch that Pawson says my initial decision was no foul no infringement, no booking, no red card. I want VAR to have a look at this. They have a look at it and say, mm, we think it is a red card, actually. You need to have another look. He goes and has a look at the screen and it's it's just done in that manner as opposed to being left with a situation where initially it didn't look as if the referee, who, it should be said, was really close to the... Ch- it was not, you know, it was not miles away from, from that challenge as well. Didn't see any issue with it. I understand Klopp being concerned about, about Elliot. I, I think in fairness to Pawson as well, those situations can be pretty confused because on the one hand, you're trying to control players who are perhaps upset with each other. You've got a player on the ground who it 
looks to have suffered a, a really serious injury. So you've you've got an awful an awful lot to manage. With Klopp, I felt that it would have helped afterwards if he'd given a kind of clear view on whether or not he thought it was a red card. And also, it might have helped, I guess, when you, you think about the, the kind of abuse and so on that, that Strike was getting after the game on social media in particular, it might have helped to have had some, to have had some answer about whether or not it was accidental, whether it was malicious, whether there was there was any intent. That was what I thought Elliot did very well, was kind of pouring water on any of the criticism of Strike by saying, look, I don't think he meant to do this and I don't think it was intentional and, and actually I, I don't think it was a red card. There will be people out there who think this is a red card because his trailing leg obviously does catch Elliot and there'll be people who would say that that, that is reckless. I just felt that it was it was legitimate and I thought it was a it was a fair challenge. It's a disappointing decision for Leeds, without a, a doubt, and it's a problem for them losing strike for three games. I think there's a real frustration in the policing of, of the end result as opposed to the actual offence. Because if you go back a game to Stuart Dallas being fouled at Burnley where Barnes gets a yellow, are we saying then if Stuart Dallas doesn't get himself out of the way of that as adequately, yeah. then it would be a red, but but to, in order to get Barnes sent off, he needs to stand still and just take it and like, take his knee it, being snapped. It, like, is, that, yeah. is that a is that a fair way of, well, of doing it? Well, well, I'd um, scribbled down the words objectively because you mentioned, you know, how they're trying to look at this in the disciplinary process. They're trying to, you know, look at it dispassionately, remove Elliot's comments from from the equation. So if we're going to try and look at it objectively, I'm desperately trying to do that as well because this is the Athletic and it's it's more serious than what we do. <laughs> um, but I'm trying to view it through more dispassionate eyes now we're a few days down the line and what it boils down to I think for me is that it's not necessarily just about this like I say if if that is a red card because the intensity that was picked up wasn't it in the in the language that was used by the Premier League if it's the intensity of the tackle and the endangerment as you saw um, Barnes do that at Burnley and it's going to upset Burnley fans they're going to get triggered but you can't escape the fact that he Barnes was off the ground two feet at about knee height on Stuart Dallas so if that intensity and endangerment is now the benchmark for red cards apply it consistently and then I think we'd say okay then if that's the way we're refereeing fine but it's not is it and we saw it again sorry that it's Burnley again but at Everton some of the stuff that was going on on Richarlison now Richarlison was going down very easily at Ellen Road but people flying at him like was it Tarkovsky who flew at him yeah Tarkovsky was the was the big one on the touchline I'm slowly starting to realise that being in the Premier League means that every game is kind of followed by 24 or 48 hours of looking at screen grabs and hyper analysis, very, very short, yeah. short replays. And one of the slight problems with this is that there were very few replays shown of it for obvious reasons because it was a, a horrible injury. It wasn't as if we all had access to multiple angles of this and, and were easily able to to take take decisions on it. So it's fair and reasonable, I think, that you have a panel at the FA who look at this closely and, and try to look at it dispassionately. If the conclusion is that it is a red card, I, I don't agree with that, but I accept that people might take a different view. I just have more of a problem with the process of the decision about the red card, irrespective of whether the fourth official is allowed to influence that. And and, and he can in the same way that, that the assistant referees can. Pawson had, to my mind, had such a good view of it and had taken such a clear decision that it wasn't even a foul, that it should really have gone to VAR, I feel, for them to decide and, or more specifically, to say to Pawson, I think you do have a decision to make on this. I think you need to review this. You've got the screen at the side of the pitch. Isn't that the point? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. I feel, yeah. Like, as, I feel yeah. like as well, it was the red was partially given as well because of the physicality of the injury. Because if it was a, 
a snapped Achilles or a torn calf muscle or something, which could be as, as bad an injury, but something you couldn't see. But because Paulson could see the foot at completely the wrong angle, which is it's is really grim to yeah. see it. You sort of do you, it does make you go, oh god, something bad's yeah. happened there. I feel like even even if it had been a bad injury that wasn't immediately obvious, he probably wouldn't have been sent off for it because he he might have gone off injured. But it'd have been like, well, you know, if one of those things, it looked like a fair tackle. But yeah. the fact you could see a, a foot at the wrong angle, just, yeah, just added to it all. The crowding of the medics and the players with the heads in the hands and stuff as we, yeah, it's it was horrible, wasn't it? I, I genuinely hope he he recovers quickly though, Elliot. I thought he had a terrific game on mm. Sunday. I thought he was one of the players who was causing an, an awful lot of an awful lot of trouble and, and he didn't deserve that and I think it could have been more serious but he has gone from for an op. I would assume dislocated ankle he'll be looking at a good a good few months before he's back, which is which is really unfortunate. And I thought um I thought his conduct afterwards was was great. I actually thought strikes was as well. You know, there were no histrionics from him. I think more than anything he was pretty shocked about what had, what had happened, and all, um, all the players actually. Yeah, Liverpool's players, because under those circumstances, you would often see that big crowding round and pushing and shoving because of the perceived intensity of the challenge. But there was none of that, was there? It was like the the priority was him. I'm I'm going to say that's because I think most people in real time felt like it was a fair tackle, which was it was and, it was applauded it in was, the stadium, wasn't it? it Everyone kind of applauded went, in the oh. stadium, and and Liverpool played on without really. Obviously, Salah saw exactly what had happened. You know, he could see the the ankle going. Everybody else played on, and and Liverpool were were on the attack in in a good position. So actually, you you can't really pretend that it favoured them to to kind of end the game there and then, um, or to to halt the game there and then. But it was the right decision to stop the game because it was a, a very very bad very bad injury. But it, there's a lot about it which is messy and a bit unsatisfactory. I mean, Frank, I would have been quite happy for them to stop the game at that point, to be honest, given the way <laughs> the way it had gone. Technical. And I was thinking, 2-0, two, two yep, lovely. Technical, let's technical, let's technical, let's technical knockout. Let's just all go home, shall we, 2-0. <laughs> quite happy with that. It was um, it was a golfing class, wasn't it? And then that's one of the things that, that's hurt in the aftermath of this, all, all the emotions getting mixed up around the inconsistencies around how that was handled. But then just the the distance you know you see Liverpool just running off there over the horizon to the land of milk and honey in the Champions League and you realise just how far off we are and were their transitional play was scary some of it Uh, it's so much better than just try and nick the ball around your own box and you know go for goal going forward it's all really structured particularly towards the end of the game the number of times they set traps for Leeds that Leeds fell into turn the ball over sent it forward to the front three who knew exactly where they were going and were just straight into space. I mean, it occurred to me at the end of the game that Manny should have scored about 10 on his own. So I had a look at his stats and he'd had nine shots on goal. Leeds had had nine shots on goal across the the whole game. I think 3-0 was probably about right if it had been a little bit heavier. I'm not entirely sure Leeds could have argued with that either. And it was one of those games where at the end of it, Bielsa just had to say, look, we, we were comprehensively beaten today Klopp's tactics worked mine didn't no arguments with the with the scoreline at all on the, on the, the kind of balance of probability you, you're going to lose a game like that because when Salah plays like that he, he's a nightmare I mean he was so difficult for Furpo to track and keep hold of and between them Furpo and Harrison really struggled with Salah and, and Alexander-Arnold down, down the right that was a, a very very obvious weak spot I think we're just not seeing a lot of form in individual Leeds players at the moment and, and not a lot of form collectively. And, and that's probably where the, the concern is coming from just now. Not that you're losing to Liverpool because a bit like Old Trafford, I think both Michael and I said, lose over there most likely. You know, that's probably probably what's going to happen. And did we both predict a one-all draw? 
the Liverpool game, I think. No, might... I predicted a defeat. Did you? Yeah, you might have gone for a three 0 defeat actually, which was. Uh, I think, I think was it was on the money. I think it was three one in the end. I was. Yeah, I, think I... I actually thought three 0 but I thought oh, I've got to <laughs> got to sound optimistic. Got to give myself something <laughs> yeah. to cling to. I tried to be mildly optimistic, but I did. I did rather fear for Leeds um, at the weekend. It's not the. It's not losing the game that matters. I don't think it's the the sense that. The feeling I had midway through the second half, uh, midway through the first half at one 0 down, where I tweeted and said they're going to score again here because this is just too too open. It's too lopsided. They are having too much of the ball. Um, it was it was not a good afternoon. I said at thirty five minutes we just need to get to half time at one nil, and that you know when your best hope is going into half time losing, then um, you know it's not going to be your day, don't you? I know I predicted a a chaos theory win for Leeds just because we've occasionally got these in us. At the minute we don't. Doing in the minute we no, don't. I, no, I don't think so. And it it was like that classic boxing round analogy, wasn't it? You were sitting thinking they're taking a real beating here and they just need the bell <laughs> so they can have 30 seconds to, it's, it's, to draw it's that, um It's that Simpsons meme, isn't it? Of stop, stop, he's already dead. <laughs> yeah, it, got, it got a little bit a little bit like that in the uh, in the second half. But wasn't it, isn't it funny how um, the, the injury actually, I said, funny in the sense that strange that it completely took the wind out of Liverpool sails for a bit. And it ended it as a contest, didn't it? Especially with the, not that there was much contest anyway, but it ended it when Leeds got down to 10 and then just had to drop off. And Liverpool would just, they're kind of just stroking it around. They were a bit more subdued because of obviously what happened to, to Elliot, but then also cutting through as it will. That often happens. And I think losing Elliot made a difference to them because he he was very, very good at getting into space and, and just linking up with little clever passes, picking good areas to, to get into. They are a very good team and they look like a better team to me than they were last season. And I think we're going to find ourselves saying this about the top four all the way through the season as it as it goes on. It, it is rapidly turning into, I think, a four-horse race already. Um, I've said before, I think Liverpool probably finished just outside that, but they but they will be will be close. I was reading a piece by Mosquell in, in the week where he was talking about Liverpool fans chanting at the end of the game, we've got no money, but we're going to win the league. And it's all relative, isn't it? They think of themselves as having no cash, but they've got a team with Van Dijk and Manny and um, Salah. And I know those were existing players, but you're talking about some of the, the cream cream of the crop. And it is extremely difficult to, to compete with where it has to happen for Leeds. Games like Burnley away and Newcastle away this weekend. We, uh, we broke it down, didn't we, on our propaganda podcast of what they've spent. They've actually spent over half a billion in the last five years of Liverpool. So while they may not be throwing cash around this summer, they've done a lot of it in, in recent years. You have to spend that. I mean, if, you, if you're going to be a top four side in the Champions League, that's the, the cash you've got to spend. You've also got to spend that if you're going to lose to young boys in Switzerland, seemingly. But it is, it is necessary. That, that, and, and that's the reality, is that I was watching the, the highlights of Leicester against Manchester City over the weekend. And I sort of have it in my head that Leicester are, just about as close as anybody, with the exception of, of Tottenham, to the top four. As close as anybody else in the Premier League. And there was a really big gulf in that game as well. And Leicester are competent, really competent, good side. But they were a long way off City, I felt. And it does feel as if the top end of the Premier League is going to stretch away from the rest. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. It felt at times in the Liverpool game that there was just a gaping chasm in midfield. And as you mentioned at the top of the show, Phil, 
Rodrigo. You've done the piece on him. He's not a midfielder, is he? And it was horribly exposed again in this game. And yet again, he's been taken off at half time, which which ain't going to do anything particularly good for his confidence, I wouldn't imagine. No, and it'll frustrate Bielsa as well, who is very vocal when you ask him in defending Rodrigo, defending the way he trains and the way he plays and the way he looks after himself. And if you ask around about him, people will say that he is an extremely dedicated trainer at Thorpe Arts. There really is no issue with his, his attitude. There's no issue with his talent either. I mean, he's quite clearly a very, very good footballer. And we, we mentioned this shortly after the transfer window closed, but we can maybe go into a bit more detail about it now. The, the fact that Barcelona, at late notice, had, had kind of looked at him and thought, I wonder if we could if we could get him in. Wonder if there was a deal deal to be done. And it never got off the ground because, as is the case a bit at Barcelona, well, not even a bit these days. There, it's all a bit haphazard and it's all a, a bit of a bit of a shambles. And the idea in their head was that they might be able to loan him. Now, clearly, loaning out a twenty-seven million pound signing is is not going to work for Leeds. It was really late in the window. It was deadline day at the point where where that was even mentioned properly. It was a non-story in the end because it just never got going. Uh, it was too late for Leeds to replace him. Bielsa didn't want him to go. And crucially, Rodrigo didn't want to go either. He wanted to stick around and, and to have a, a proper crack in, in the Premier League. I think what we're all starting to ask is whether or not this experiment at 10 is going to work long term. And and actually, whether in this period where Bielsa is kind of searching for a bit of form and individual players are looking for form and the team collectively are, are after some as well, whether keeping Rodrigo in that position is is the right thing to do because, you know, in both of the biggest games so far, Manchester United and Liverpool, he's been substituted at half-time and, and I think justifiably so. It's not purely on him. I mean, they, they haven't played well in either game, it has to be said. But you could draw the, you know, you could draw the conclusion that in, in the best performance of the season so far against Everton, he, he didn't feature. You know, you had a different midfield, you had a different structure. And I just wonder whether in the circumstances and, you know, as, as Leeds look for this first win and, and look to get themselves going, whether it needs a rethink in, in that position. It does feel like the really obvious thing that needs to happen because that midfield, I mean, I, I ended up not tweeting it, but I was looking for, uh, I was Googling pictures of, and stay with me on this, big hole or giant hole. Um, like, and you, you know, see the big sinkholes that pop up in Mexico. <laughs> that sounds risky. Yeah, I know. I know. I've, I've cleared my browser history. Don't worry. <laughs> Well, yeah, I was, and I found those those big uh, pictures of you know sinkholes. This is me telling you that I nearly tweeted a joke out that I didn't. So, and I'm trying to claim credit for it after the fact. But the big sinkholes in Mexico, and I was going to tweet out saying that's our midfield. Um, has anyone seen our midfield, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. But um, it was just completely absent, and he's not he's not a midfielder, is he? And I don't think we've got the luxury of leaving him in there to get him up to midfield status when we've got click on the bench. Uh, just it just doesn't work for me. Just put a midfielder in midfield and put him on the bench. I don't care if he's twenty seven million quid. It feels like the best thing, unfortunately, that that could happen for his Leeds career is for Bamford to pick up a fairly serious injury, so he gets a run of a few months up front in yeah. playing a position which that nobody he, wants that he's actually more familiar with. But obviously that would be, that would be terrible news for us. <laughs> I, I, I can't see how it can persist much longer. And I think that it's a it's a luxury you've got if you've got points on the board and if we were sat in eighth now. And it was it was maybe not always working, but we're still picking up wins. But it's starting to feel now like there's it's not a panic because it's still really early in the season. We've had a tough start, but if we lose at Newcastle, I think it'll be a panic. Yeah, and, and it's not something we can afford to do. It's chicken and egg scenario this one because if Leeds were playing better, Rodrigo in that position would would work better. But there's also the you know the viewpoint that because Rodrigo is in there, Leeds are not playing so well. Yeah, it, it doesn't work. 
the reality with the Bielsa team is that it doesn't really accommodate an out-and-out 10. So rather than Rodrigo being a kind of secondary forward, which I think would be the least he would look for, I go back to this in, in the, the initial analysis we did of him when he came in from Valencia. He played more often than not as a nine in Spain in a team who didn't press very much. So he was going to have to adapt to Bielsa's tactics anyway. But positionally, there was going to be a, a big shift as well if he wasn't getting ahead of Bamford. And I don't think he should be ahead of Bamford. I think Bamford keeps his place at the moment. But what happens with the midfielders in Bielsa's team is that they are as much required to be central midfielders as they are number 10s. That's fine for Dallas and it's fine for Cleek. It works really well. But I think what we're seeing at the moment is that it can mean that Rodrigo drifts out of the game because he find, he does seem to find, and un- understandably really, he finds that side of the game more difficult to cope with than he does um, his attacking play. You do get some lovely touches from him, but they've been isolated so far this season. The, the little bits of, of class you've seen from him, which are very obvious when they happen, are just not enough to translate into a good a good team performance. And I think it does leave Bielsa with the question of, should he be going with Click in Dallas? Should he be trying to get Roberts in there? But I'm inclined to think that with Roberts in there, you really have the same setup um, as as you do at the moment. Shackleton's legs could they make a difference? There is Forshaw, but he had a calf strain over the weekend, and you know it, it's just that that I still don't feel is one that you can 100% rely on. I would have thought that this weekend at Newcastle there would be the temptation to go Click in Dallas. The one thing that Click is really good at is managing the space and managing the gaps and, and making sure that leads don't end up being too wide open. It's not to say it's always perfect, but I think his his management of that and his interplay with the ball is a big asset to Leeds when when he's in form. It does, like you say, it does mean you have the scenario of a £27 million player on the bench. And I think we're still to establish whether... They've clearly signed a very, very good player, but we're still to establish whether or not they've they've signed the right player. And, and I'm... I'm almost starting to feel that in the, the short term at least, the right move with Rodrigo might well be as a substitute who comes on to replace Bamford. Well, his mini run of form towards the back end of last season saw him coming off the bench for Bamford and that's when he seemed like he was just getting into his stride and yet we've reverted back to the thing that seemed to cost us quite a lot at, at the start of uh, of last season. I know he, wasn't, he was injured and whatnot and he wasn't necessarily playing in the 10, but that kind of wide open play that we that we do the you know the defense I mean like Liverpool for example got us every time when we were going forward cut off the um the chance to do the little bits of interplay that you're talking about that clicks so good at there we didn't get like the three on twos out wide or anything no. like that and we ended up hitting quite long balls or we were trying to get crossfield balls going and the number of times when we did it and we conceded possession and I thought we've done it again why don't they learn why don't they stop and then you realize it's because Liverpool are really really good at playing football <laughs> yes but- and there was that big chance for Rodrigo I mean that would have Given the game a different complexion, I don't know whether it would have resulted in a in a better result or avoidance of defeat. But I mean that I think though when when I had a close look at I dug out his touch maps against in the, the three games he's played in so far, league games, and that miss doesn't matter in the grand scheme if he's getting into that position constantly and if balls like that are coming to his feet constantly and he's in the box and he's in possession and, and he's having chances to shoot. If you look at the games against Liverpool and Manchester United, that hardly ever happened. In fact, that was his only touch inside the box in either game. And, and granted, he was only on the field for 45 minutes. But there's also an absence of, of influence in that pocket outside the box, which is where you would expect a, a number 10 to be really, really influential. 
I still like to think that somehow it will work out for him because he's he is a kind of higher level European player. There's no no doubt about that, and, and you should be able to make something of him. But I think if Lee, if the form had been decent so far and he wasn't playing too well, it would be less of a concern. But because they are four games in and, and no wins, and and they've got this pretty key game up at Newcastle now on Friday. I do think the question has to be asked about whether a reshuffle would, would benefit everybody. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to write him off yet by any stretch of the imagination. And he's not the only player who's out of form no. or able to get, get things going, you know, because you would look at other midfielders and, you know, Dallas has been a bit of a sacred cow recently and he wasn't particularly good against Liverpool. But then you remind yourself it's Liverpool and they are pretty good. But I, I'm struggling to see where he fits into this this whole setup. And as you say, unless it's an absence of Bamford or Bielsa suddenly decides to start rotating, I just I don't see where he fits, and I could I could see him moving out next summer if if this season continues as it started with him just having a bit part role and misfiring in a kind of attacking midfield role. I just I wonder if at his age whether he just writes it off as a bad job and goes home. I don't know. Well, it's the same with every player, isn't it? We saw it with Costa that there was that feeling that it had stopped working and it wasn't if it had ever really worked. But you know, it, it had gone beyond the point where anybody was confident that he was suddenly going to be making a big impact. They would rather have Dan James in than him. So Costa went off to, to Valencia. And and I think if you get a two, maybe even three years down the line and and it just isn't, you know, it just isn't quite clicking with, with Rodrigo, then, then you would assume that, that that's what will happen. I mean, Bielsa seems hell bent on making it work. And actually, to be fair to Rodrigo, so does he. You know, he's really not agitating to go didn't agitate to go at all during the window, even though, you know, Barcelona were, were kind of there hovering in, in the background. And I think like a lot of players, he, he wouldn't want to come to the Premier League, find that it didn't work and then then left. I think he'd like to come here and, and make an impact. That's how, how players like him tend to think. I actually don't think, even though he's valued at £27 million, your team is always bigger than the sum of individual parts, if you know what I mean. And, and you're not obliged to accommodate anybody. And in the same way, that there would be players at Liverpool and Chelsea, you know, Werner, for example, with the days when he can't get in the Chelsea side, he's a fifty million pound player. But if you're happy with your lineup, then that's you know that's the way the cookie crumbles. He he, he sits on the bench. If Rodrigo's biggest impact can come as a substitute for now, I mean, I I think back to him coming on, and I'm fairly sure he played in the sort of ten role as a substitute against Man City at home last season when he hit the bar at least once, maybe twice, if memory serves me right. And was really, really dangerous and effective. And and I suspect part of the reason for that was because the game had become stretched. Leeds were on top. City were, were starting to bail water a bit. And he was able to to make a difference. If he is coming off the bench and making an impact, scoring goals late on, essentially doing what, what he's paid to do, I don't have any problem with that at all. I, I don't care about the fact that he's cost £27 million. You, you assume that because he's cost £27 million, he has to be a starter. But actually, he just needs to contribute in a way which which is kind of, kind of positive and I think where he is in the team at the moment is making that difficult. I think we're, we're unaccustomed to having players of such high value as well whereas if you look around the Premier League having a £27 million player on the bench is actually quite standard and yeah. it's, in some cases actually quite cheap as substitutes go. Sometimes you you know you've got you've got a bench worth £400 million sat there and I think it's because we put so much he's he's this year's Luke Murphy is what I'm saying you know when he <laughs> just arrives with that it's like we've spent, we've spent a million pounds on him surely he's going to we're going to build a team around this guy and yeah Maybe it's just not happening and, and we need to accept that he has actually got the same role as Tyler Roberts this year, which, <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. which is kind of 
hard to take, I guess, having spent that much I, money I think on so. The, the wider context as well is that we've dropped the thick end of 50 million quid on him and Dan James, which is all good and well, you know, good players, but we just still don't have a central midfielder. And we've, what is it, three windows now we failed to get a central midfielder? And it goes back to something we said at the close of the window. We've been saying it for, you know, the early weeks of the season. It's starting to look like a mistake to not have invested it in, in midfield. And I do fear for that midfield if something doesn't change. Did you watch Conor Gallagher last yes. weekend? Yeah, don't, and, talk, and you, don't uh, talk about it. Yes. And and did you did you think looking <laughs> at Gallagher that you could see uh, bearing in mind that he was the player that Bielsa wanted um and, and the player that Leeds went after, did you think you could see how he would have fitted? Yes. How his attributes <laughs> would have would have worked. Yes, it, Phil, I'm it, sold. I'm sold. Yeah, yeah. It, it it is unfortunate that and and I do think that would have been a very good sign. And much as people were not excited about it at the time, I kind of felt like that was that was a good way to go quite a sensible way to go it hasn't come off and yeah I mean that, that that was the one thing we all said about the transfer window wasn't it that had a centre mid you know a suitable centre mid come in I think we'd all have been pretty content I think we can all accept that you cannot completely redraw everything every summer you know there just isn't the money to do that it's, it's too expensive but to target the areas where you you need somebody so left back and um, without a doubt an upgrade on Costa yes good move but somebody in the centre of midfield, I'd like to think that Forshaw will play a part in this season and I'd like to think that, that he will get himself going. But they, they cannot put too much pressure on him and they can't expect too much of him. Well, whether he's been a bit tongue-in-cheek or whether he really meant it, Andrea Ratrizzani suggested that Forshaw would be the, the new central midfielder this season in a tweet recently. Thoughts on that? Um, well, putting a lot on his shoulders really, isn't it? I think at Leeds they would like to think that and I think that Forshaw would like to think that but given that he hasn't played for two years and you know things like this calf stream will probably just be the natural flow of things for somebody who's played so little football and is is back in it but I honestly felt reading that tweet that it would have been better to have said probably nothing but it would have been better to have said look we did identify options out there that we liked they didn't work out for us so we decided that it was better to leave it than to go for something we didn't want to do or to pay more than we felt we, we should pay. And we do have four shot and we're optimistic that he's going to be able to to be involved this season. That, I think, is a, is fair enough. Not to say that I don't think they should have signed a centre mid, because I do. Um, but to to kind of dangle him out as, oh, he's a, a new midfielder, is a is a big call and, and too big a call with no football behind him. There's a lot of football to play yet this season and by no means have we sunk into a crisis or anything like that. But I am increasingly of a mind to think that the failure to get a, a central midfielder is going to be a failing I mean, this Im- season. You say we're not in a crisis yet. Imagine tomorrow's presser. Bielsa says Calvin Phillips has picked up a, a, a knock in training and will miss the next three weeks. How do how does everyone feel then? Crisis! <laughs> <laughs> it, would be a, it would be a full-scale panic though, wouldn't it? And, yeah. and I don't think you don't want to get yourself in a position where losing one player as, as important as and as, as brilliant Calvin Phillips is which we've not even touched on his performance against Liverpool which was it was the standout for us wasn't it by by an absolute mile we've got so much riding on him I feel at the moment yeah I mean I, I said before we came on air that I feel as if he is going to improve this season irrespective of whether Leeds do you know I think he's he will be a better player again at the end of the season and, and he was the one who stood out as having the measure of Liverpool and matching up to you know to their kind of levels Levels of quality in, in some areas. Yeah, it. I mean, I suppose it's fair to say that you're kind of always on the edge like this with Bielsa, aren't you? Because, you know, we've, we've gone through days where Will Huffer has played in goal. 
I interviewed Will after he left Leeds and even he said, couldn't believe it. They said to me, you're starting at the weekend. He went into the change room, Peacock Farrell, I think a thigh injury or something like that. Peacock Farrell just said to him, you'll be starting at the weekend. And Huffer thought he was joking. Uh, Peacock Farrell said, no, no, I'm out for about four to five days. So Huffer did and the club had said to Bielsa, we'll get you an emergency keeper. That you're, only allowed, you're not allowed to sign from the Premier League in the EFL. So it would have had to be somebody from the Championship and you know, the pool of available keepers at that stage is not great, but you could have probably found somebody fairly fairly experienced or, or a little bit proven. But he also just said, well, you know, Huffer knows how I play, so I'd much rather just have him. We'll, we'll crack on with that. And they beat Bristol City 2-0. And it's funny how over the years, the selection crises that have made you think this could be really messy, I've never quite bitten in, in the way that, that they might do. Yeah, I mean, it's the same old story with Phillips, isn't it? If he goes, you know, if he's, he's out of the team... Injured, suspended, whatever else. Then, Sold. Yeah, there's pro- problem, <laughs> you know. Um, but the, by a mile, the biggest issue this weekend is centre-back because, you know, it's it's fine moving um, Luke Aileen across from right-back, but behind him, you do have Charlie Creswell, really good under 23. Beyond that, there is not a lot to choose from. I mean, you wouldn't legislate for that many injuries, though, would you? Or No, and it's, it's, it's funny how it always seems to hit the centre of defence as well. That seems to be the area more than anywhere else in the team that gets peppered with usually injuries, but often suspensions as well. I know Phillips in and out from, from time to time, but that does seem to be where it, it gets problematic. Strange. Well, Berardi doesn't have a club still, so we can just go for a shot. Bring to, him back in. Knowing him, he'd be in tip-top condition as well. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So we are recording ahead of the press conference this week. When is that? Is it Thursday? It is. It's Thursday, yes. What do you think he'll say? I asked him after the game on Sunday how satisfied he was, not with the results, because he was never going to say, yeah, delighted with two points from, from four games, but how satisfied he was with the football. You know, we know what, what we think we'll see and what, what does he make of it. And it's the, the usual mea culpa of... I'm not satisfied with my own performance, which actually I think is is fair comment. I think there have been certain things in some of the games where where he hasn't necessarily made the right decisions or, or picked the, the right lineup in, in our eyes anyway. But I think he will very much have it in his mind that they need to get a win on the board. And I think he'll be frustrated with the form. I think he'll be frustrated with some aspects of, of how they're playing. I think that will have hurt on Sunday because it was 
very, very one-sided. And, and he must love the idea of taking on Klopp and finding a way to get in amongst his team, to cause problems, to kind of match up to a side who are vastly more expensive than his own. And it really didn't happen in the same way that it didn't happen at, at Old Trafford. And he, and he does take those those results quite personally. I think you'll get the same old Bielsa. Uh, he doesn't tend to to change too much. Um, he, he, he tends to have the same kind of demeanour, the, the same tone to him um, from press conference to, to press conference. But no doubt at all, he'll know that this is this is an important game. Do you think there's a very creeping, small sense of pressure on him at the minute that, that you could argue is self-invited? And I'm looking specifically at the, the conversation we've just had around Rodrigo by putting him in and keeping him in there when the world and his dog are telling everybody it's, this is not working. I think you should say it was self-invited if we were 10 games in and it wasn't working with Rodrigo and you know it, this was still it was still the persistence with it. Um, Rodrigo missed the Everton game. He played at Burnley, played at Man United. It seems fair to give him a reasonable crack of the whip. Yeah, and I, and I don't want to pile this all on him, by the way. No, 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 not at all. And and also, I think Bielsa is entitled to make that decision on Sunday to play him. As I say, we're not, we don't have sort of 10 games without a win behind us in which Rodrigo has really struggled. And you've got this experiment going on where everybody's saying this is kind of comprehensively shown that, that it's not, it's not kind of working. So I don't think self-inflicted, but I think what, what is happening is, as happens with every manager, no matter how much you have behind you and how much support you have behind you, and I thought it was very obvious actually on Sunday that there was a lot of chanting for Bielsa towards the end of the game. There were a lot of people who stood around um, and waited for his post-match interview, gave him a big round of applause when, when they came out, because people are still very much with him, 100%. And I think there'll still be that hope that this is a, a little glitch, you know, and, and a little period that, Inevitably, everybody has from time to time. But the results are not great. The performances haven't been great. That can't persist indefinitely. That does have to have to turn around. And he he will know that, 100%. The club will, will know that as well. And I think for the good of the players and the good of everybody else, the, the sooner you can get a win on the board, yeah. get up the table, feel as if you've, you've got a little bit of impetus, the better for everybody. Because if we win on Friday, as we said last week, if we win on Friday, everything's going to be fine, isn't it? Well, we just know that we've got it in us still. Yeah, no, definitely. And and I don't think you win on Friday and suddenly everything's rosy. You know, like the team's perfect and the formation's perfect and the, and the team and the, the sort of selection of individuals is perfect. But it just gets you into the mindset of having a little bit of momentum behind you. And like you say, yeah, the, the, the feeling of winning a game again, which they did so often last season, they... They just seemed to trip off the tongue, um, and and there were defeats, and and you know there were there was kind of that weird inconsistency that they were at the same time as them being wildly consistent in either winning games or losing games. There's kind of no in between, you know. It was kind of back and back and forward, and they won't like the players will not like the feeling of going through this run of games. I think if you rationalise it, you you would say that, say for example, you were looking at a different club who'd been struggling and they'd played at Old Trafford, they'd had Liverpool, they'd had Everton, they'd been away at Burnley. I think you would say to yourself, that's quite a difficult start. You know, it's not not an easy stretch. I think for because we are close up to it and we're we're actually seeing how the games are going, it's impossible not to draw the conclusion that Leeds can play an awful lot better than they are. Individual players can play an awful lot better than than they have been so far. And as we said after the Burnley game, that little bit of spark just isn't isn't really there at the moment. It's not quite clicked, has it? But um you messaged me this week and told me I had to predict a Leeds defeat. Yeah, I, I feel I feel like you're rapidly taking over my jinx by constantly <laughs> predicting outlandish victories, which are resulting in heavy, <laughs> heavy defeats. So, I, uh, I will never apologise for my optimism. <laughs> Someone's got to have some in this room. 
Um, so I have uh, predicted a 4-0 defeat for Leeds whilst going into this game more confident about it than any other game this season. Because if there is a club in this division where they are directionless, they're unhappy, everybody hates everybody else, fans, manager, board, Premier League, there's a lot of unhappiness in that circle. This is it. This is it. I said that in my piece after Sunday that the point about this game is that they have one point from four games. They have a very, very unpopular manager. They've got a manager who as good as admitted that despite spending £25 million on Joe Willock, they have basically stood still at best this summer. And and I agree with that. I said in the report as well that the, the buzz up there is like a human resources training day. Like, I mean, it it's, you know, but they will have a full stadium and they will know that it's not gone great down here so far as well. I just think that these are the games that Leeds were winning last season. Likewise, um, with Burnley as well, these are the games they have to win this season. They, they, these are the games you've got to take points from. But that stadium will turn very quickly if things are not shaping up well for them. In the same way that Ellen Road can be difficult. Yeah. It hasn't been at all this season, actually. you know, The home crowd's been universally supportive. I think Newcastle is it's got the the capability of turning very toxic, very unhappy, very quickly. I mean, Bruce is at odds with a lot of the media up there. There, there was a, a fight with the Chronicle over the weekend. I sometimes struggle to see what it is about the job that is appealing to him in any way. I I, I know he loves being in football, but sometimes I think you could have a nice, quiet life away from management or at another club. It's I mean, funny, the, Moscow made this exact point, the, actually. The, and I was, he said, like, what, what's the point in any of this? The, the, Why is he there? Well, I, I, I mean, no offence to the in-laws, but I've started to feel that about Newcastle. I think Newcastle fans would understand me saying this. They don't seem to aspire to anything. Every now and again, they get relegated, but they get relegated, they retain an incredibly strong squad. They get promoted again, usually a, a canter, and the whole cycle starts once more. And there's no... There's no sort of there's no hope. There's no positive emotion up there. There's plenty of emotion, um, but none of it very positive. And and it's just the, I mean, we can relate to this, I guess. That's the meandering season after season where you kind of think, what is all this about? And, and what's the the grand plan here? It does make it extremely difficult for them, and it does make them very very vulnerable. I think no matter that though, they are not a particularly great team. They have some good players, I've got to say, but they are not a particularly great team. And the not particularly great teams were the clubs that Leeds made very light work of last season. And winning those games is what makes sure that you never get into any trouble and, and that you keep yourself in a steady, steady position. And Leeds have a few good games coming up now. It's unfortunate that they have a few good games coming up at the same time as having no defence or at least no <laughs> centre-backs. But they do have games which are different to Manchester United away, Liverpool at home, games that are that are very winnable. And and I think this is a period that could get things going. So on the centre-backs, what do we know of Cock and Llorente's injuries at the moment? Llorente is, is a muscular injury. He was saying on Instagram that it's not too serious. I think you'll be looking at a, a matter of weeks probably for that. Um, weeks, not months. Weeks, not months. Oh, happy days. Irons in the fire. It's like the, the Leeds United lexicon of circa 2010-11. He will... Out for a little while, I would imagine, but you know, maybe two, three, three weeks. We'll find out from Bielsa um, when he speaks tomorrow. Robin Koch, I'm not sure on timeline. Pain in the pubis was how it was described, which headline headline writers dream. I wouldn't have thought he'll be fit for Friday, um, unless something has changed this week. But um, I think it it would be a big ask, and and Bielsa would probably look at it and say he hasn't trained for a while either, so it, it would be problematic to start him. We've got Fulham in the League Cup on. Tuesday 
is that one of um, Strauch's suspension games? I need to check this. I, I have a feeling that the the bans apply to league games now, but I, I will I will have a look. It came so early this morning that I um, I haven't had a chance to dig into exactly how how this will work. I think don't hold me to this. I think it might apply to Premier League games, but I may I may be wrong. It would be handy if it didn't. Let's assume you are. Um, yes, <laughs> that's not how it goes. And hope. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to say it's come at a useful time actually. The League Cup game, if we can have one of the games uh, as that as the suspension, because it means he's back sooner. Um, obviously, in terms of um, the opposition, Shelby's out, isn't he, for Newcastle at the minute? And so is Callum Wilson. Yeah, and you see, the thing that, that potentially complicates team selection as well is that they do kind of go with two up front, a bit of a sort of three, three, five, two, which would kind of lend itself to three at the back for Leeds. And and obviously, they don't really have three in the three at the back in the way that that they normally they normally would. So we'll see see what they do. I mean, they they. They really, really need a result as well. They look very much like they're on for exactly the same season as they had last season, which is massive periods of pressure. And then Bruce will hope that that alleviate that from time to time with a little spot that that keeps them out of trouble. And they do have people like Callum Wilson, for example. I know he's injured, but he is the sort of guy who could score enough goals, you know, just to keep their their head head above water. It would be ridiculous to call it a must win game because if Leeds don't win it, like you know, what, what does that actually mean? But I don't doubt. I think both clubs will feel the need to do that. Mm, given what happened on Sunday, uh, one of my biggest worries about this game is the fact the referee is Mike Dean, which adds it adds another chaos factor to everything, doesn't it? See, I think Mike Dean would have got a clop off that pitch mm. on the plus side. He would have he would have been. This is my pitch. Suplex no them. No, <laughs> exactly. No one is to come on here. Yeah, I, I'm a slightly concerned about it, but we, we, I mean, we, we should beat them. It just feels like this is. This is probably too dramatic, really, given how bad things felt at that point. But it feels like probably the biggest crisis point since like the Forest game in that championship promotion season. Because last year, we never got into a properly bad run, did we? And it felt like even and there were performances in there that had encouraging things about them. Whereas it feels like other than a couple of moments against Everton and Burnley, we've basically been fairly bad this season. And it, it just feels like we need to at least, even if we draw but play really well, I think that could be the equivalent of the draw at Brentford where it's, everyone kind of goes, okay, this looks like yeah, it looks like Leeds are back now. We, we recognise this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas I feel like I didn't, I've not really recognised us so far this season. We've not we've not looked ourselves for one reason or another. Mm. Leeds have always, always turned up in these moments, you know, just when you, you've looked for them to do that. It's, it's definitely not the equivalent of post-Forest, but I would say it's probably as much pressure as they've, as they've had to feel since that point because last season just never got out of hand at any any stage even even over that period where they lost at um uh, lost to Spurs and then went out with the FA Cup to Crawley and it was all a bit kind of meh they picked up again and off they went and the results kept coming and and in the end they were kind of cantering through to the end of the season with with a lot of really really good results I don't think it would take a huge amount to get them going again this season. I really, an early goal, I really an early goal at Newcastle. I, I, that's that is how how it feels. And then you would like to think that the next few weeks take care of themselves, and you roll into October or November, and actually you're in a in a reasonably decent decent position. I think it's probably pretty apparent that this is not going to be you know a spectacular season that improves on last year. But I still think they've got the players and they've got the coach to to have a good season. I do. We just need to do the reset, don't we? Just just clear the decks, and I think as well that you know the emotional roller coaster we all go on in the wake of, of a defeat and seeing that golfing class. And I think that's what I found most difficult to handle about Sunday was that you know my mind's going back twenty years to to a game where it's you know Liverpool, are, uh, you know we're going head to head with them. It's a Champions League contention fixture. This and actually, oh God, it's not that anymore. 
I'd, for, I'd forgotten that the, you know, we've been away for a long, long time. And it was just, it was quite a sobering thing. But as the week wears on, I started to feel despondent at first, then a little bit more spiky. And now I'm actually sort of looking forward to the weekend game. And by the time it gets around to the kickoff on Friday, when they're all out there and we're going again, I think the, the mood will be a lot higher. And if we can get our noses in front, I think that stadium will turn. And I think we could we could potentially run out comfortable winners if the wind's blowing our favour. But obviously I've predicted a 4-0 defeat. Yeah, I was going to say, by the time this podcast finishes, you're going to be predicting a 5-0 win, aren't you? But we're I, back on. I, I always think we, we do have it in us and that's what I remain confident about. But I'm not going to go any further in terms of pushing that, that agenda because I've jinxed us so far this season. It's, it's a big game for a few reasons, but I think it, it, the result, if they were to win up there, the result would be even more telling because of the fact that they are losing players, you know, en masse in, in a key position, which makes it difficult. It might be that Bielsa has to rethink his his midfield. If you get you suddenly get bursts of form from individuals, it, it will make everybody feel a hell of a lot better. And Fulham, uh, League Cup, we, we kept forgetting to do the uh, the cup games and uh, the midweek games last year because they're so few and far between. The, well, uh, last year they all seemed to be rammed into about three weeks. What what do you think we'll see in terms of lineup against Fulham? Because he played quite a strong lineup against Crew at Ellen Road, but with things looking a bit threadbare, mind you, he does he doesn't waver, does he? I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know because when you saw the team against um, Crew, you assumed that it was a concerted decision to go strong. But when we asked him afterwards, he said that was basically a way of giving minutes to players who needed lots of minutes. Now, it might be that he's been coy there and it might be that he's looked at the cup results last season and thought, we, we can do better than that. We could actually do something in, in this competition. I don't think necessarily being threadbare will stop him fielding who he wants to field at Fulham. But to be perfectly honest, I don't know what he'll do. I don't know if it'll be much weaker. I don't know if it will be a very similar side to the team that's played against Crew. I think he would love to play somebody like Forshaw, but that's going to depend on, on his, his fitness and so on. They're up against a good side in Fulham. I think Fulham will go very, very close to automatic promotion this season. What they'll do with their team equally, I have absolutely no idea, but quite a quite a tricky little trip, this one. Mm. In terms of how we're using the the younger players this year, we saw the the under-21s that is, isn't in the, um, the Papa John's last night, and that was a very weak side. So when do people like Somerville and Gellhart get when do they get to play if they're not going to play in that which seems that it, it seems like the most obvious competitive level of football they could play at this season and they're not getting games in cup games like where, I don't understand where they fit in at the moment yeah we've kind of seen this before where you have um, you, you have this sort of slightly younger crop who go into the, the Papa John's like that that famous game at, at Accrington that, that brought about a heavy defeat the League Cup would seem like an obvious place to do it but I, th- I think what you found against Crew was that even though Somerville is kind of there and waiting, they also wanted Costa to get minutes. It might well be away at Fulham that he wants Dan James to get a full game. Um, so you're looking for Somerville to play and perhaps he might. But if Dan James ends up in that position, then Somerville might be on the bench again. But I'm with you. I mean, I, I think there are there are 23s here who, who do need pushed um, when the opportunity arises. I just never hold to this idea that through a Premier League season, you should be constantly blooding individual under twenty threes because the twenty threes and they're there to be blooded. I think you have to be you have to be serious about how difficult the games are and, and about making making the right calls. But there's no doubt that they're investing heavily in the twenty threes, and the whole point of that is that they will become future first team players. And that's heightened the pressure around the twenty threes a little bit because one of the questions I was going to ask is, do you feel and but you've answered it there? Do you feel there's a slight disconnect between the sort of recruitment at that level and how invested? Bielsa is said to be in the 23s and yet so few of them seem to 
to cut through to the first team. He is massively invested in them in the way that he coaches them and trains them and, and involves them. Um, they're, they're right under his wing and they're, they're properly skilled in, in his tactics. I don't think his selection policy is a slight on the 23s. I just think he is a coach who has a core of players that he relies on and depends on and, and likes to to stick with. And the the truth about Leeds is that that core of players, you know, particularly the eleven that he favours, is these days pretty experienced. You know, it is an experienced group. It's Dallas and it's Phillips and it's Bamford and um, and it's Cleek and even Harrison now with with three seasons behind him. You know, you you talk about him as a you know a, a seasoned campaigner really, and he doesn't. Ever, I mean, this was the reason why Robbie Gotts had such a long stretch on the bench because Bielsa doesn't see the merit in playing people even for a couple of minutes in order for them to be able to say, I made my Leeds United debut. It just doesn't come into into his thinking. But you would like to assume that the best of the 23s, and he has spoken quite a bit about Somerville, you would like to think that given that you know things ebb and flow with injuries and suspensions, that at some point there'd, there'd be the opportunity to use them. Because there is quite a clamour for Somerville right now. He's become the latest he-must-play from the 23s. Yeah, but where? I mean, do we play him in front of Rafinha? Well, I mean, this is the opportunity. This is what I'm getting at with Fulham, though. Like oh, I see. Dan, Dan James on the left, because he, uh, he likes to have his inverted wingers. And I think Dan James was more effective on the left, whereas he, he tended to play down the right at Man United, didn't he? Whereas he was when he was on the other side at Swansea, he was quite good on the left. Yeah, no, he is. He played far more on the left at Swansea and, and more on the right at Manchester United. Yeah, I mean, Fulham, Fulham away would seem like quite a good opportunity to play Somerville but as a rule the team as it is at the moment it's one thing wanting to see Somerville play and actually I think there would be moments and opportunities in games where when it comes to substitutes particularly if Leeds are chasing the game you'd almost think to yourself Somerville might make a bit more sense to see see what he's made of but I mean over over the years I, I you know I, I get tweets a lot people saying why isn't Drammy in the squad why isn't such and such in the squad why doesn't he get a go why, why doesn't he get a go and the answer to that is particularly last season you have a lot of high-performing players who, in order to accommodate all of these 23s, you would have to say, you're on the bench today or or you're you're not in the squad. I mean, as much as people want to see Somerville, I don't think they'd ever want to see him ahead of Rafinha at the moment. And I think you've got Harrison who kind of picks himself on the left. And if not Harrison, you've got a £25 million winger in, in Dan James. So there is definitely a pecking order. But I agree with you that when it comes to a game like Fulham, it would seem like the kind of occasion where you would play 23s, but it would also seem like the kind of game where if you play 23s and it all goes wrong, people will say, why on earth didn't you play a stronger side? <laughs> Can't win, can you? Um, what do you think the next seven days will bring for Leeds United then before we sit down again? I don't want to predict anything, thank you. Come on, Phil. <laughs> no, no, no. This is your party trick. It's, it's just not, it's just not, um, it's inadvised. You're weak, you're weak. In, in, inadvisable. I don't... <laughs> I feel tense about Friday and I think everybody will feel tense, or most people will feel pretty tense about Friday. That's probably true of Tyneside as well. But it's it's so hard to call because there just isn't a lot of form, good form to go on with Leeds at the moment. It's not terrible either, that's the thing. It's not wildly out of form. It just isn't Bielsa's team as we, we know it at, at its best. So I don't know what will happen on Friday. I don't know what will happen away at Fulham <laughs> um, and Thanks, Phil. Uh, yes, and that's, that's about as much as I can say. <laughs> well, I mean, what do you reckon then, uh, Grumpy? Oh, well, I think I predicted a narrow win at Newcastle, so better stick with that, I suppose. Two, did I say 2-1? I can't remember. I'm, I'm very inconsistent. I still feel like we might just about have that one. Um, Fulham, I don't know. We don't do cups, do we? 
let's just they'll probably sign someone from Towie and we'll go out. <laughs> I I do I do feel like the ledger at St James's. I do. Oh well, this is a prediction you're actually yes, indulging. In. Yeah, no, look, I, I will get roped into this, but I think I think it will be as tight as it was last time they played up there, and and that game was was pretty a little bit nervy as well. That one, um, I think this will be very very similar. And I predict in another week's time we will be sat here a little bit. We'll be we'll be calmer than I think we have been in the last couple of weeks. Yes, let's hope. Let's hope so. Um, if you want to get in touch and say hello, we are at the Phil Hay Show on Twitter. And you can subscribe to The Athletic, 33% off at the moment at theathletic.com forward slash leads pod. We'll speak to you next week when we'll be a lot, a lot happier. The Phil Hay Show.